Welcome to Healing with Worth, a podcast dedicated to healthy recovery and instilling hope in the wake of betrayal trauma. We are women who have experienced this intimately and want to offer hope to other women. While we may interview professionals on the show, the content should not be taken as therapeutic advice and is not meant to replace therapeutic healing. If you would like to join one of our free online worth groups to help with your betrayal trauma, you may find us at healingwithworth.org. Welcome to Healing with Worth. I'm Naomi. I'm Janine. And I'm Cherlyn. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We really hope that you've been enjoying our podcast, and we would love for you to consider donating to the Worth program at healingwithworth.org. Currently, we have a wait list for women seeking help. So your donation allows us to offer hope and healing to women who've been experiencing betrayal trauma. Now, today we wanted to jump into the topic of trust. We talked previously about forgiveness, and trust is something that sometimes gets mixed up with forgiveness, I think. And so I want to just start out just kind of going over the concept of trust. So, and maybe I've talked about this before, maybe I've said this before, but when I think about trust, I think about a bank account and I think about it as when you go into a marriage, you start with some level of trust, right? You have this base level of trust, but then when you're in the situation where you experience this kind of betrayal, that trust account starts to lower and starts to lower with additional betrayals, right? And you can, just like a bank account, when your account goes down, you can put money back in your bank account. And that's kind of the way that trust is. You can build trust back up by consistent positive behaviors and actions. But you can also continue to have negative behaviors and actions that diminish that account again. And sometimes that account can, like in the case of betrayal, when you think about it, or really severe interpersonal transgressions, that bank account can be in the negative. You know, it can take a long time to rebuild the kind of trust that um, constitutes a healthy relationship. Does that make sense? Yeah. Brene Brown calls it the marble jar. (laughs) She has a cute little story about her daughter. And her daughter's betrayal with one of her friends. And as she was kind of making connections with her work and this experience with her daughter, she kind of thought of a marble jar. And what her daughter's friend had done was spilled the marble jars all out of this jar. And so now her friend was going to need to to put the marbles back in the jar one jar at a time. So I thought that was cute in her book, Daring Greatly. Well, I guess when I think of trust, I I know that trust is the foundation of, you know, the relationship between romantic partners. And when addiction appears, it can wear down trust over time or, or it can shatter it all at once. And so as I was kind of thinking about, like, what would I want to tell my younger self, you know, about trust? I guess I, I, I thought of this. I see it now as more of a cyclical pattern. And I guess I always thought of trust as him telling me the truth, you know, like whether he was doing something. But I, as I look back on my journey now, I kind of see it differently. And I feel like these are ways, if we were to break this down, we can see that there's other ways to build trust than just by telling the truth. So I guess what I was thinking of as I kind of watched my husband, you know, the pattern that I would see was that he would 
something and some kind of event would happen and then he doesn't know how to deal with it so he starts to withdraw and then he seeks out a distraction he becomes more self-centered he becomes moody he becomes impatient and this transformation can kind of take uh take years but eventually he slowly changes into someone who becomes more self-centered irritable moody and impatient he spends less time focused on our family he seeks out more distractions he begins to mentally and eventually verbally de devalue the marriage. He becomes critical of my body and my character. And uh, I kind of saw in him that he started to become even more spiritually empty. You know, he got bored with things that used to interest him. He loses his passion. He feels restless. And then he's going to become more resentful and blaming when things don't turn out the way he hoped. And then I guess my pattern that I saw in myself was I started to second guess myself. I reflectively blamed myself entirely for the disconnection in my marriage. I always sensed that something was off, but were not able to put my finger on it. I could tell that my relationship was gradually eroding and it created confusion and strife in our marriage. And, you know, we, with discovery, we get like a little bit of information here and a little bit of information there and all this kind of stuff is how trust gradually eroded for me and for him. And so, you know, like abandonment got stirred up, you know, and I start feeling not worthy, not being, I didn't belong, I didn't feel like I didn't belong anywhere. I felt like I lost control. And so I feel like when we're talking about trust, it, what I wish I would have known is that I need to look for, he's less self-centered, he's less irritable, he's less moody, he's less impatient. These are signs that he is, tuning into me. These are signs that he's becoming more trustworthy. He's more emotionally intelligent. And so I just wish that I didn't think of trust as only telling me the truth or, you know, being upfront. And so I just really wanted to throw that in there. That's what I wish I would have told. I wish my younger self would have known is that it would have been more easy to, I think that's more of a correct reality for me. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but that's kind of what I think of when I thought of, of trust. I do. I think that Bernie Brown's work goes really great after what you've just described. It supports, I think, what you, you just have just described. Do you guys feel like that your husbands have the same kind of pattern? Like they were moody, irritable? I mean, what do you guys think? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And and I like that you pointed out that, and and what I got from that was that it's about the actions, like the actions that he's taking, the things that the behaviors, the actions, not just telling the truth. It's And the truth is words, but the actions that follow those words is what builds trust. And that's where, that's where I feel like, I feel like I, underst I understood that only because I recognize that words mean nothing. You know, like even still, like even still he can say sorry. And I'm like, sorry doesn't mean anything to me still. Like you can say sorry a hundred million times and you can even say, you know, I, I want you to accept this apology. And it's not even about accepting the apology. It's about the actions because you can say all the words you want. But if your actions aren't following that, the words don't mean anything. And that's where that trust is built through consistent action. Um, positive action, you know? Yeah. I, what, I like the, the word tangible evidence. Like you could record it. Like 
you know, it's like, it's so obvious that you could record it on a video. So that's what tangible evidence means to me. And I feel like it's, it's not just feelings or communication or words, it's actual things that they're doing. I think in my situation, I really related to some things that Brene Brown pointed out in her Daring Greatly book. She talks about betrayal and how all terrible betrayals are uh, corrosive to trust. But then she talks about how there's a particular sort of betrayal that is more insidious in that trust building process. And she talks about the betrayal of disengagement, you know, of not caring, of letting the connection go. She says, the word betrayal evokes experiences of cheating, lying, breaking a confidence, falling to defend us to someone else who is gossiping about us or not choosing us over other people. These are certainly betrayals. But they're not the only form of betrayal. If I had to choose a form of betrayal that emerged most frequently from my research, that was the most dangerous in terms of corroding the trust connection, I would say disengagement. When the people we love or with whom we have a deep connection stop caring, stop paying attention, stop investing, stop fighting for the relationship, trust begins to slip away and hurts. Hurt starts seeping in. Disengagement triggers shame. And our greatest fears, the fear of being abandoned, unworthy, and unlovable. What can make this covert betrayal so much more dangerous than something like a lie or an affair is that we can't point to the source of our pain. There's no event, no obvious evidence of brokenness. It can feel crazy making. We may tell a disengaged partner, you don't seem to care anymore, but without the quote unquote evidence of this, the response is, I'm at home from work every night by six. I tuck the kids in bed. I'm talking, taking the boys to little league. What do you want from me? Or at work, we think, why am I not getting feedback? Tell me you love it. Tell me it sucks. Just tell me something so I don't, so I know you remember that I work here. With children, actions speak louder than words. When we stop requesting invitations into their lives by asking about their day, asking them to tell us about their favorite songs, wondering how their friends are doing, the children feel pain and fear and not relief despite how our teenagers may act because they can articulate how they feel about our disengagement when we stop making an effort with them they show us by acting out, thinking this will get their attention. Like trust, most experiences of betrayal happen slowly, one marble at a time. In fact, the overt or big betrayals that I mentioned before are more likely to happen after a period of disengagement and slowly eroding trust. What I have learned about trust professionally and what I've lived personally boils down to this. Trust is a product of vulnerability that grows over time and requires work, attention, and full engagement. Trust isn't a grand gesture. It's a growing marble collection. And I, I guess I really related to that because it's not this grand gesture. It's being engaged in, in the relationship and showing interest in me. And for me, that's, that's how trust is going to be rebuilt is this being seen 
by my husband and not being disengaged. And he can tell me all these great things he's doing. Like I'm at home from work every night by six. What else do you want? Or I'm sober. What else do you want? But until he's engaged in the relationship, that's going to be the sign for me that he's on the road to building trust. I don't know. That's a big mouthful. Sorry. I liked it. I, you know, when you were reading that, I was thinking about my experience and, and I think we, I think we tend to do this as women because when you started talking about the trust, so I, first I started thinking, okay, so because to begin with those disengagements came from his end, but in return, I disengaged. You know what I mean? Because there's a level of vulnerability that needs to happen. And because you don't feel safe in the relationship, it does become kind of this chicken in the egg scenario. Yes, it is. It's kind of, it is that chicken in the egg scenario. So it's, it's one of those things where I think sometimes you're like, well, was that my fault? You know, was it my fault, the disengagement? And, and you kind of think, well, I'm disengaged. And so now he doesn't have trust in me. Well, there's safety. There's a safety issue with all of this too. A vulnerability issue, you know, where you can't really feel vulnerable with somebody who you don't trust. And so it, it does become kind of this vicious cycle, I think. I, I'm seeing in my own relationship. Which is why I think it's important not to take it out of context in the context that it was meant in, because I think we can do that sometimes and say, well, and, and even not just us, but even our husbands can do that sometimes to us and say, well, you know, it's kind of that, that Darvo thing, right? Where you deny and then you reverse and the um, offender becomes the victim, you know, where they say, you know, no, I'm not the one creating the problem. You're the one that can't be trusted. You're the one that's creating the space. You're the one, you know, well, and, he's the one who dumped all the marbles out of the jar. Right. Right. And that's where, that's where it's important to recognize that the marbles have been dumped out of the jar and the one who broke the trust is the one that needs to begin building the trust. And so it's not your responsibility as a betrayed partner to, to put the marbles back in the jar. Right. Like he, his actions, his behaviors are what's going to put those marbles back in the jar. And so just, I think what I'm trying to get at is don't be hard on yourself and don't blame yourself. Don't allow that gaslighting to make you feel crazy, right? Like you're the one who can't be trusted. You're the one who, who made a mess of the relationship. I don't know. What are your thoughts, Sharon? I guess one thought, I totally agree and relate to he is the one that spilled the marble jar. But I guess in my own situation, there came a certain point where I decided that I'm going to stop making him pay for those events that occurred in the past. I feel like that's where I numbed out, where I, you know, stepped onto the revenge cycles, what I call it, is when he did knock the marble jar down, but I always wanted him to pay for those events. You know, it's like, I would always bring it up, you know, well, you did this. And he would say, well, that happened five years ago. And I was like, well, I'm still trying to make him pay for that. And so I feel like we can't really go back and change those moments. And I feel like the the way that it did my soul damage 
was holding them in over their head. I don't know if you guys agree with that or can relate to that. I feel like when I learned that I just have to let go of that, it helped me be able to, instead of having this stack up and stack up and like consume my time and attention, I was able to kind of get rid of my own marble jar of holding these, these letting go for, I guess, forgiving. That's kind of what it is. It says forgiving. It's like, it's, you know, I can't, I can't change it within the past. I can't change what's in the past. I can only change what's here. And I feel like I was hanging on to that stuff. And I feel like it really was damaging for me and for my relationship. What are your thoughts about that? Well, my experience with myself has just been, I can forgive. I can let go of that. But in the future, I, I need new behavior now in the future. I need engagement now in the future. I don't feel like I'm holding on to any past behavior of his to the extent that like, I don't feel like I can't move, move past any of that. I just need now for him to be, to start connecting with me because that's been kind of his motive. Well, I think, I, I think I understand what you're trying to say, because I think that, I think that what you're describing to me sounds like the difference between forgiveness and trust, right? So you're not going to hold him to the past because that's part of forgiveness. You're not going to hang on to that. There is still an expectation for behavior to change. And that's, and that I think is just part of that process of rebuilding trust because when you've, when you've broken trust, so and really it comes down to, so when you're thinking about this, or at least when I think about this, I think about when somebody's really sorry and they're really repentant, they change. And, but in, in these cases of severe transgressions, right, where of interper severe interpersonal transgressions, right, these betrayals that happen, it takes more than an, an apology to restore love and trustworthiness. And, and it takes genuine repentance because repentance, when you think about repentance, repentance isn't just about saying sorry, right? When you think about repentance in its whole, you're, you're not only saying sorry, but you're making the decision to completely do a 180 and turn away from thoughts and words and deeds that have betrayed love and trust. And then you're making a, an entire turn towards attitudes and activities that can restore love and trust to the relationship. So, but I, I agree with what you're saying, but one part of me resists because it, the locus of control, it's like if we're wanting our husband to pick up those marble jars and to restore trust, all of a sudden he now has all the power in the relationship. And so it's like, you know, and then I feel like we're at that battle of wills where I'm like, dang it, you're going to pick up that marble jar. You're going to restore my trust. And then all of a sudden, you know, I'm not able, I can't control that. And so I feel like sometimes focusing on that is actually been very detrimental to me. And so I feel like, I guess the law of control in my mind is simply saying that we feel good about ourselves to the exact degree, degree to which we are in control of our own life. And that we feel bad about ourselves when we feel out of harmony with ourselves to the exact degree to which we feel we are controlled by outer circumstances, by other people, by things beyond our control. And so I've, 
I feel like that's an outer focus, locus of control versus an internal focus. And I feel like that's one of the mistakes I made was I was wanting him, wanting to force him to restore that, pick up those marbles and put them back in the jar. And I, my happiness went down and my confidence in myself, my self-esteem plummeted. That's kind of the, the catch 22. We want to trust our husbands, but our reality is they, if they're in addiction, they're not going to be trustworthy. And so what I wanted to do in the meantime, instead of wanting him to pick those marbles up, was just to say, you know, I can't control that. I can't control him. And so I've got to focus on things that I can do so I can restore my sanity. So that's the crazy making was trying to control something you can't control. You know what I mean? I, I appreciate that because I, I, think, I think that's a common feeling for women, feeling out of control and feeling unable to make changes in their lives in that regard. And so I think that's really applicable. For me, I think I have a little bit different perspective in the way that I view it because I agree that you absolutely don't have control over that. Like it's not something that you can because it's somebody else's agency, right? They get to choose. They get to decide what they're going to do. In my case, I feel like I'm at a point now where I am, I feel completely confident in who I am and where I'm at and in the situation. However, there still isn't complete trust, right? He's still working to rebuild um, trust. So we're not there yet, but my happiness doesn't depend on his ability to rebuild that trust because I have boundaries, because I take care of myself, because of all of these other things that I do for myself, I am taking care of my happiness and my happiness doesn't depend on whether or not he's going to rebuild the trust. That's up to him. And I'm prepared to do whatever I need to do to be safe. And so I think that's where I find the differences is in what areas I can control, I control. And that's, that all has to do with me. And anything that has to do with him, you're absolutely correct. We don't have any control over that. So he's going to choose to either change his actions and have trustworthy behavior, or he's not going to. But there have been situations in the past that have, and actually even recently, right, that are not trust-building behaviors, right? Demands that are made and, and just crazy-making behaviors. I feel like just when he'll start to work on things for a while, right? He'll, he'll do these things and do these things and do these things, right? So he starts to build this trust, right? So slowly he starts putting marbles back in the jar, right? But it doesn't mean that I have a full jar, just that it's getting there, right? So the trust level starts to come up a little bit. And then... If you are liking this show... You might want to check out our blog, healingwithworth.blogspot.com, because you're worth it. And then it seems like, in my point of view, it seems like we get to this point where he's like, feels like he's done enough, like he's put enough marbles in the jar and, and that should be enough to get something, right? Like, like he's earned something. You know, but the marble jar isn't full. It's just, there've just been marbles that have been put back in, right? And then when he doesn't get what he's expecting, 
then he does something and all the marbles get dumped out of the jar again because we revert back to past behaviors. And so that trust that was rebuilt falls down because it's a, it's a lack of consistency, I feel like is what it is, you know? And when there's a lack of consistency and even when there are expectations, like I'm going to do this, but only if I get this as an outcome, it makes the action seem less genuine. Does that make sense? And so that trust is kind of shaky in its restoration, right? It's, there's a, so you can see, okay, the action is good. I don't know that the feeling behind it or the expectation behind it is genuine or that there, ev- like, that there even is an expectation. Like, I don't feel like that there should be an expectation. Does that make sense? I guess what I think of as you, you're building something, you know, you have all these building blocks and then someone comes along and just wipes, wipes it out. Like, like they knock it over and then you got to rebuild and then they come along and wipe it over, you know, but I think also that's why I like to think of trust as a, a spiral you know, so it's like on the outer edge, you're constantly getting knocked, knocked that over. But the more they go down the spiral, the more their actions are going to be in alignment. And then I think when you get to that center, that's where trust is. And I guess another thought, I think trust and forgiveness is a product of healing. So if your husband is not in recovery or healing, then I feel like the likelihood they're going to stay in that outer ring of the swirl and you're just going to keep this, you know, if you think of it, you know, like there's a penny inside there, it's just going to keep rotating and rotating and rotating. And so it's like, and that to me is the difference between pre-recovery and recovery. And so I totally agree with what you're saying. And I, I feel like that's what makes sense to me. Did you want to add something, Janine? I was just going to say that I don't feel like his inability to build trust is going to affect my happiness, but it's going to affect our marriage. And that's where I see the difference for myself. Yeah, I agree with that. I think at least what I was saying is that the law of control doesn't, his trust, when you try to control him, that's when your happiness goes down. So he can build trust on his own. But I was just saying for myself that in those younger years in pre-recovery, I was really focused on controlling him telling him to pick up that marble jar. And that's where I made a lot of mistake. And that's where a lot of my happiness went down was because I was trying to do something that was impossible. And so just to come full circle, what I would want to tell my younger self is, you know, just forgive and get rid of those so that it doesn't keep stacking up. All these things keep stacking up. And then I just explode or boil over. And so I feel like for my own sanity, just let those go. Yeah, you know I mean, somehow find the ability to let it go so that it doesn't weigh on my happiness. Yeah, you know I mean, yeah, work through it. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a, a great point, and it's probably a place that many women can get stuck in. Yeah, I feel like I got stuck there all the time. Yeah, which which is really has been really helpful for me because I didn't I didn't go through all those years like I. I sought recovery pretty quickly in the process, which maybe helped me to not get stuck in that place of, of. Yeah, that's why I feel like these podcasts are so good because like we can give 
information to these women sooner, then they won't have to do what I feel like I went through for 13, 25 years of doing the wrong things and then resulting in negative (laughs) consequences down the road. You know what I mean? So yay for podcast. I totally relate. Like, because I, I, I agree. I was there at one point as well. And it, it's taken me what, like two years or something it has taken me to understand all these different concepts. And because really when we break it down, it comes down to, so our husband's can do what they're going to do, right? And they can rebuild trust. And, you know, that's totally on their plate. That's, or in their lane, I guess, however you want to say it, that's their job, right? And then because it takes time to rebuild that trust, right? And I think that's where, that's kind of the place that I'm in. Like he's, he's in this process of working to rebuild trust. And he, you know, he's fumbling, he's trying. Yeah, he's learning how to, be vulnerable to connect to, you know, all these trustworthy behaviors to engage in the relationship, to even be sober. That may be still a struggle for many of the husbands. And so there's all these, these things that we need from them in order to build trust, but they're still learning and in the process of learning those things. Exactly. And that's really the hard place to be. Yeah. And it's, it reminds me of our episode we did on that rock in a hard place, right? And and so in the meantime, right, we'd go back to self-care and boundaries, right? That's Those are like the basis of recovery, you know? So in the meantime, we, and and I think probably one of the biggest things is learning to trust ourselves. I think for myself, for so long, I didn't trust myself shove it under the rug kind of a thing, right? Like just keep shoving it aside. I did, I did have feelings and I don't know if you, you experienced this Cherlyn in just that sometimes you feel like the spirit's like, Oh, something's up, you know? And, and you're like, okay, something's up. And then they deny it. And then, so you're kind of questioning yourself, like, well, I felt like something was off, but maybe I'm wrong, right? So you start to lose trust in yourself. So I think I think part of the developing trust with myself has been really tuning into um, my spiritual side and being able to recognize the promptings of the spirit telling me what I need, not what he needs, because that's for him to figure out, but what I need. What's my next step? You know, what do, what do I do next? Um, cutting out things. I mean, there were a lot of changes that I had to make in my life to be able to feel those promptings and to be able to act on those promptings. And I haven't been led wrong yet. So I don't know. What What is your experience with that? Well, I guess this is kind of a different take on faith, but I think it, I've learned it over the years is if the, the definition of faith is faith is believing in something that isn't seen, if I feel a prompting inside myself and my husband denies it, just because it isn't seen yet doesn't mean that it was wrong. And I really adapted that to say, you know, I'm going to trust and let it play out. We talk about planting a seed. I feel like that's how I dealt with my intuition and kind of grew over time as I just said, you know what, I'm going to believe that this was a prompting because I can always change my mind. I can always say, oops, I made a mistake. 
But just believing that it was a prompting led me to finding out more information. And I feel like that's what really kept me safe was choosing to believe when I denied the prompting. And I've had some experiences where I didn't listen. I always ended up, that seed always ended up producing something that wasn't good. And so for me, I, I think that exactly describes what you're talking about too. Just believe it. Even though he may deny it, there may be no evidence and it will protect you if you let it play out. So what about you, Janine? Yeah, I totally agree with that. In my situation, I didn't really know this was happening for myself. And so as I've sought recovery and developed some of the tools, that has been a, a foundational tool to use now going forward. I mean, before I didn't realize that I wasn't trusting my gut. I wasn't listening to the spirit because I didn't know anything was going on with him. You know, he was lying to me and being deceitful in so many areas of, of our life. And so now it just, I'm going to believe that. That's what I'm going to believe until I'm, I'm proven wrong or, or I'm led to feel a prompting to do something different. Yeah, I guess one thing, I really like the term be decisive. And I feel like uh, we lack trust in ourselves when we question our actions or decisions. You know, building trust is breaking the habit of doing that, questioning your decisions. So I feel like the next time you have a choice, just stick with it because it's either going to prove right or wrong. But when we're indecisive, it kind of keeps us on the fence. And I feel like that's very uh, dangerous. It's an unsafe place to be. So I feel like we can learn from our mistakes, but just be decisive. That's one of the, when I started to come into recovery, I just said, I'm going to decide this and let it play out. And if it is, you know, good, then it's good, but, and, and learn. But I feel like I stopped learning when I sat on the fence. I stopped growing when I just sat on the fence. So I feel like for me, one of the ways to trust yourself and to, is to be decisive, just decide something, you know, you don't always have to be right. Give yourself permission to be wrong. It's okay. You know, it's like, who cares, you know? Yeah. I love that. I love that. I love that. It reminds me of the analogy where I, and it's Maurice's, one of Maurice's analogies where he talks about like, if you're in a jungle and you think you hear a tiger, you're not going to just play it off and be like, oh, it was nothing, you know? No, if you feel like there might be a tiger, yeah. even if you're wrong, you're going to do something about it. You're going to, you're going to run, you're going to get out of there, you know? And even if you're wrong, you're still safe. And if you were right, you're still safe, you know? So no matter what, you're still going to be safe because if you get a feeling about something, do something about it, right? Yeah. Make Take some action because you're only going to be safe. You're not going to be sorry, you know? Yeah, because if you prepare for the tiger and he's not there, well, it was a little bit of preparation. But if you don't prepare, then you can end up getting eaten or whatever. Do you think it's even possible then for husbands who aren't in recovery to build trust? I don't, you know, this is my opinion. I don't think so because if, if somebody isn't, choosing recovery, they are still, even if they're sober, they haven't worked on the, the brain portion of it. And I could be wrong. This is just my opinion. I feel like, I feel like it takes like actual recovery 
to be able to build trust. Because if they're not willing to even work recovery, they're not interested in building trust still. They're just, they're still hanging on to their addiction or their behavior, whatever it is. They're still, that's still a life source for them. Because I feel like love and trust go together. And I think Luke at one point in one of one of the conversations, maybe it was a round table discussion at one time, said that he he felt like he wasn't even capable of fully loving his wife when he was in addiction, when he was in addict mode. And so I think the same goes with trust. You're just, if you're still in addiction, and even if you're just sober, you still have the addict mentality. And until you can work on that addict mentality, I think you may be able to build trust in certain things, but I think the, the type of trust that is needed for a stable relationship comes with recovery work. That's just my opinion. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I feel my experience validates what you're saying that when my husband wasn't willing to be open and honest and communicate, he wasn't, it was impossible for there to be trust between us. And so I feel like that's another thing we have to sort out is I feel like I really wanted to trust him. And so I believed that, you know, I believed his words and that really caused me a lot of insanity. And so I feel looking back, I wish I would have known that to know that reality, he is not, he is not trustworthy. You know, it's like, don't believe him when he says, I'm sorry, I'm never going to do this again, because he will, he is in addiction. And so I feel like that's one of the lessons I had to learn when I learned about addiction was that's that's part of it. And until he uh, gets into more healthy behavior, he's not going to be trustworthy. I, yeah, I love that. I, I relate. (laughs) Which goes back to why it's so important to trust yourself. But I also want to throw in there to trust yourself, but be yourself, be a person. It's like a lot of times when the, the old Cherilyn used to want his attention, want him to do things so badly that I wanted to have this relationship. The more I realized that that was not possible and I started to become my own person. And one day I had this realization. It's like, if you think about my body, it's like my heart beats. I am a complete universe. I don't really need anything to function. So it's like, I kind of weaned myself off of this need for my husband. And the more I did that, the more healthier I became. It's like, I'm not like a child where I don't need him to fix my meals or help me go to the bathroom. I'm an adult with capabilities. And when I started to realize that I am, then I started to be happier and healthier. And I weaned myself off of his, which I consider in unhealthy intimacy or enmeshment. You know, it's like I wanted this unhealthy without boundaries. You know what I mean? I weaned myself off of that and I started to become more powerful. I took my power back, you know? So I don't know if that's your experience, but. Yeah. Well, and part of it is, I think to a point there are, there are things that you kind of assign certain roles to be played in the relationship, you know? And I feel like I fought so, so much for, him to fill a particular role. And I feel like now I just, I just don't rely on him for anything. 
I am capable of doing whatever needs to be done. You know, if, if I need to mow the lawn, I can mow the lawn. If I need to change the wipers on my car, I'm going to change the wipers on my car. I need to change the air filter on my car. I will look up a YouTube video and do it. And that's what I've done. And it feels so empowering. It just feels great because I don't have to wait around for somebody to do what their role says they should be doing, right? Like I'm totally capable of doing all these things. I don't need to ask him to do them. I can take care of myself. I can take care of my kids and (laughs) I don't need him, (laughs) I guess. But hopefully, hopefully something will change along those lines someday, maybe. Well, I guess when, when you're talking, one experience I had was of those roles was when my husband was excommunicated, he, the role was for him was to lead in scripture study, to lead out in this, to lead out in this. And it took me a long time to grow into the role where I'm like, he's not going to do it. You know? So it's like, so now it's time for Cherylin to be the one that says, I lead out in scripture study. I make sure the kids get to church. I make sure we have prayer, you know? And so it's like, I talk about hard topics, you know? And so it's like, I can really, that just one thing I can relate to what you're saying, but I do think it's more difficult on an emotional level because I don't know, I I feel as women that we're kind of a mess emotionally. And so sometimes I think getting those boundaries emotionally are a little more difficult, but what do you think, Janine? Do you have any experience with that? I think my experience has been in my relationship that that's the way it, it has been that I have let out with these things because I didn't, he wasn't stepping up to the plate, so to speak. And now that is a sign, that's going to be a sign to me of building trust is that he's now going to step up the plate to do those things because that's how it's been in our relationship where I have initiated so much of of these things because he wasn't going to do it. And it was important to me. And so that's kind of a sign for me that he's building trust is that now he's going to step up the plate to do those things. So it's kind of, kind of interesting. We all have different experiences with this and different experiences with our husbands building trust, but there may be some women who want to know, well, what does trust building look like? what signs should I be looking for? And Vicki Tidwell Palmer in her book, Moving Beyond Betrayal, has some suggestions. And there's some suggestions that actually are brought up in, uh, I haven't read this book, but I'm, as I've been reading Brene Brown's Daring Greatly, she talks about, she refers to John Gottman's book, which is called The Science of Trust, Emotional Attunement for Couples. Have you guys read that by chance? No, I haven't. I thought, oh, mm-hmm. I think I'm going to read that book. But in Vicki Tidwell Palmer's book, she gives eight signs that the addict is being or is becoming more trustworthy. So he's fully engaged in recovery activities without expressing resentment or acting as though he feels like a victim. When you ask questions about the past or his recovery work, he's open to answering your questions and only occasionally is defensive. When you're together as a couple, you feel that he's fully present most of the time. 
He is transparent and forthcoming about his whereabouts, use of money, and his online or electronic activities. He demonstrates the ability to empathize with your feelings, especially about his past behaviors. When you express discomfort about an event, activity, or even an article of his clothing that is triggering for you, he is open to making changes in an effort to repair damage caused in the past. When you make reasonable requests, he either agrees or negotiates a mutually agreeable solution. And then the last one she gives is, in general, he appears more engaged in life with less forgetfulness and distraction. Well, I love that. And I want to pair that with, I think trust is building a bridge. So you described accurately how the husband can build a bridge. But I think we would want to leave the the women, you know, with how we, how can we build our bridge so that we can meet in the middle and eventually, you know, be in that relationship. And I would suggest, you know, if you're building your bridge, you're being yourself, you're becoming authentic, real, you know, I used to hide, I used to you know, and so I wasn't building trust. And so in our relationship, I think I feel like setting reasonable goals. You know, I went from being completely out of commission, you know, like can't even turn off the light because I'm so emotionally overdrawn, you know, to say, say okay, these are the things I'm going to work on. These are the things I'm going to be doing. I think another one is being kind to yourself. I feel like that's how we build trust with ourselves. We need to love ourselves. We need to be kind to ourselves. I think Build on your strengths. I remember reading the Strengths Finder and, you know, realizing that these are the things I'm good at. You know, these are the things because that was all lost when I went through that painful process. I forgot what my strengths were, you know. And I remember, I guess the next one would be spend time with yourself. You know, I remember when I had all those little kids and was doing homeschool, I went to a place and it was quiet, you know, and it was like that was the most joyous sound no sound. I spent time with myself. I said, these are the things I like to do. You know, I started going to movies, going out to dinner, you know, by myself sometimes if I didn't have any friends because I was so isolated. And then I guess we already talked about that one, but the last one was be decisive. And I feel like if we're, if your husband's doing what Janine talked about and you're doing these things, then eventually your bridge will build and you can meet in the middle and you can have an intimate, healthy relationship. So that's, I guess, my hope. Yeah. Yep. Connect. Yeah, connect. Exactly. Yeah, what we've always wanted, connection. So it is kind of this two-part process, you know, identifying what are the signs, I guess, in our husband so that we are safe and we keep ourselves safe with, and that, that requires boundaries and self-care and things like that. But then there's this also other component of the bridge building, so to speak, of ourselves. Which I want to include uh, boundaries in that in that final list of things, because I think having and maintaining boundaries are important, and they allow you to be able to determine how you will be treated, and what's acceptable and what's not acceptable in your space. So, great point. Well, I love how this conversation went today, and I hope that. Our listeners have found it helpful and that you're able to get some ideas on how to work on your part and also to see what trust consists of and how that's built. So hopefully this has been a helpful one and thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.
Thanks for joining us this week on Healing with Worth. Make sure to visit our website, healingwithworth.org, to enroll in a therapist-led support group or to check out our blog. If you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes or wherever you may listen, or simply tell a friend about the show. Be sure to tune in next week for a new episode because you are worth it.